Welcome to the Chateau Versailles. But before you start looking around, think like the 17th century courtiers and be careful of your belongings. It was incredibly expensive to live at Versailles. People were expected to wear all the latest fashions with new wigs, clothes, jewellery and carriages all at their own expense. The Sun King was extravagant and fashion conscious and spent a fortune on his clothes and wanted everyone else to do so as well. So it was not uncommon for an impoverished aristocrat to take advantage of the crush of people to swipe a wallet or expensive pocket watch. So now that you're here, what are you going to see? Uh, it's incredibly grandiose. Um, you go in there and you're kind of overwhelmed. The Hall of Mirrors is just, you know, pretty incredible. The Marie Antoinette's room, I thought that was really intricate and very gaudy, like, but in a pretty way. The different bed chambers and the, you know, towering beds. I think the architecture of the whole building is really exciting. The Hall of Mirrors is really cool. It's really uh, nice to take a bathroom-style selfie in there. I loved the painted ceilings. Well, that's certainly some of the things, but what else is there? Here comes your 40-second summary. The architecture of Versailles is symmetrical, repetitive, and borrows from ancient Greek temples. It's known as Baroque. The facade that faces the gardens looks a little similar to the White House in Washington, D.C., but bigger and not so white. Inside are some 700 rooms, 67 staircases, 6,000 paintings, 5,000 pieces of furniture, and, of course, the dazzling Hall of Mirrors where the Treaty of Versailles was signed. Outside, 200,000 trees, 50 fountains, not forgetting the little peasant village of Marie Antoinette. But I don't suspect you'll see it all on your first visit. You will walk in the footsteps of the kings and queens of France, as well as other celebrity visitors such as Benjamin Franklin, the Queen of England and Kirsten Dunst, to name but a few. Versailles can be rather overwhelming, which is exactly what Louis XIV wanted. This chateau is the very symbol of his greatness set in stone, the ultimate expression of royal authority. He wanted to impress visiting ambassadors by making it a showcase of French craftsmanship. But it can seem like lots and lots and lots of rooms full of paintings and sculptures and people. Louis wanted the chateau to be for everyone, to show off the best of France and to be open to the people of France. Anyone could gain access, so long as they were dressed right. So it could get very busy, even back then. So here are a few things to look out for or notice as you walk around. Remember, you're only seeing a fraction of the 700 rooms, the most beautiful. There were plenty of small, awkward spaces for servants or less important nobility, as well as kitchens, kennels, stables, meeting rooms and private spaces, which you do not even get to see. The envelope. As you stand in the marble courtyard, have a look at the facade of the building facing the Golden Gate. Right at the heart of the chateau, is the original hunting lodge built by Louis XIII, the Sun King's father. Although he would change it almost past recognition, Louis was very attached to this little place, as he'd spent many happy times there. So he decided to keep the original building, but make it bigger. His architect, a man called Laveau, racked his brains to find a solution, until he thought of the idea that they would call the envelope. Can you see how the architect added the wings to surround and envelop it? Look at the balcony on the second floor. This is the king's bedchamber. Louis XIV would stand and watch court life from here, and Louis XVI would ultimately stand in front of an angry mob, come to take him and his family away from Versailles. This is where the chateau began, and also where the story of Versailles, at least as a royal residence, comes to an end. But let's find out a little bit about what went on and how people lived inside this huge palace. When Louis moved the nobility and parliament to Versailles, 
he essentially created a giant networking centre, which also became a hotbed of intrigue and gossip, keeping abreast of who was seeing who, who was wearing what, and all the latest goings-on became essential. Not having Twitter in the 17th century, people would send servants back and forth all day with notes for each other. Can you just imagine it? But what to do with all these people? Gossip alone was not enough to keep them happy. And with so many courtiers craving his attention, Louis finds ways of keeping them busy with lots of parties and rituals. Nearly everything the royal family did was in the public eye. Waking, dressing, eating. Everyday acts were witnessed and attended by hordes of people who'd come to see the king. Great nobles would quarrel about who had the right to hand the king his shirt or a candle, which is exactly what Louis wanted. Better to have them squabbling about trivial things at court than heading off to their estates to raise an army. If you've seen Sofia Coppola's film about Marie Antoinette, you might recall the moment where poor Kirsten Dunst, as Marie Antoinette, stands naked and shivering while her ladies-in-waiting decide who can hand her her clothes. Only the person of the highest rank in the room may do so, and, as new people keep walking in, that person keeps changing. By the end, the poor queen says, this is ridiculous, to which she is told, Madam, this is Versailles. This was based on a true story. As you walk around the chateau, don't forget to look up. Louis XIV is all around and often on the ceiling. Well, he is the Sun King after all. In paintings, he's often immortalised as the embodiment of a god. His message was clear. I'm the boss around here, you look up to me. I'm like a god. Indeed, Louis believed he was the representation of God on Earth, a divine king. As you walk through the rooms, notice the names. Mars, Venus, Mercury, Hercules, Diana. Versailles was his domain, his solar system, a realm of the gods. He wanted to impress, and nothing was more impressive than the Hall of Mirrors. Try to imagine the impact of stepping into the Hall of Mirrors. People had never seen anything like it. For visiting dignitaries or ambassadors, it really set France apart. Mirrors were incredibly expensive at the time, and people had rarely seen themselves in a full-length mirror before. They might not even own one, so to be confronted with 357, a whole gallery of them, was just breathtaking. The Hall of Mirrors was designed to dazzle. Each night it was lit up with 8,000 candles. It quite literally outshone every other palace. By day, it reflected the sun. Louis had the whole palace and gardens built along an east-west axis, so the sun would rise and set in alignment with his home. It filled the palace with sunlight, a subtle reminder of Louis's symbol and power, but it also reflected the palace's beautiful gardens. As you walk through the Hall of Mirrors, look out of the windows and admire the view, you'll only be able to see a fraction of the nearly 2,000 acres of manicured lawns. For many, the glory of Versailles is to be found in its spectacular gardens. Louis appointed a fantastically talented man called Le Nôtre to turn this swampy, hilly area into the most wonderful gardens anyone had ever seen. Le Nôtre's gift was treating the gardens a bit like a series of outdoor rooms. He was a sort of garden architect. He divided up the space, then brought in sculptors and water engineers to furnish these rooms with beautiful plants, fountains and sculptures. And because Louis loved orange trees and their blossom, Lenotte built an orangery and managed to have them in flower all year round. Everything was subjected to the will of the king at Versailles, including nature. If Louis wanted oranges in January, he got them. Louis used the chateau and the gardens to great effect. 
he threw fabulous parties with huge fireworks displays, balls for 3,000 people, ballets with 100 dancers. But these events weren't just about having fun, they had a political signification as well. Louis was turning Versailles into the most important and most fashionable seat of power in Europe. In Versailles, queens are often overlooked. Who could outshine the Sun King or the lusty Louis XV? But there is one queen who everyone remembers, and that's Marie Antoinette, Louis XVI's wife. Keep your eyes open for the queen's bedchamber. It's beautifully decorated with flowers and peacock feathers, and of course, lots and lots of gold, and looks just as Marie Antoinette left it on her last night in Versailles. As you walk through, think of the 19 children born in this very room. And don't forget that at Versailles, nothing was private, not even giving birth. To the contrary, lots of people would squeeze in to witness the event. The birth of Marie Antoinette's first child was especially busy. It was considered particularly exciting because Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI had already been married for eight years. Unlike his predecessors, Louis XVI was said to be no ladies' man, and some even suggested he didn't know what to do in the bedroom. Indeed, he was the only French king in about 200 years who never took a mistress. Needless to say, everyone was eager to see if the queen would produce an heir. She didn't. Their first child was a girl. But she did go on to have three more children and fulfill her royal duty. Look carefully when you're in the queen's room. Do you see the secret door? On the 6th of October 1789, three months after the fall of the Bastille on the 14th of July, the symbolic beginning of the French Revolution, rioters marched from Paris and vowed to kill Marie Antoinette. They thought that she was wasteful and to blame for many of the problems France was facing. Granted, she did spend a lot on dresses and expensive hairdos, but she's hardly to blame for all the problems of the time. Remember she is famously meant to have said let them eat cake when told that her people had no bread? Although there's no evidence that she said this, the fact that people told this story about her shows just how hated she was. The mob broke into the palace in the early morning. One of Marie Antoinette's bodyguards was killed defending her, and she only managed to escape by making a rapid exit to the king's bedchamber through that secret passage. Then, although they must have been terrified, the royal couple go onto the balcony of the king's chamber and show themselves to the mob. Louis is forced to agree to being taken back to Paris with his family, essentially as a prisoner. None of them would ever see Versailles again. <laughs>